I remember growing up watching television shows that I know for a fact I would not allow, that I watched them at the ages that I watched, I would not allow my kids to watch similar shows at the ages they are as the ages that I was growing up. And I remember specifically, maybe you can track with me, I remember Janet and Chrissy, they were from Santa Monica, and they had a roommate move out on them, and they began the search for a new roommate. And at a party they had at the house, there was this crasher who was asleep in their bathtub, Jack Tripper, right? Okay, and the girls got a taste. He was an aspiring chef. They got a taste of his cooking and instantly thought it'd be great for him to be their roommate. And these roommates would navigate the adventures of life, uh, coining the phrase, threes company. Good. You guys are tracking with me. I thought this would definitely date me, and I was like, okay, where do people fall in the line of age? And I looked it up. No joke. I had to have been watching this show when I was like six and seven years old. My parents let me do that. That's crazy. Anyways, so I would never do that. So now this doesn't go well. Uh, Their landlord, Mr. Roper, Roper, right? Uh, And some of the, the younger people in here are like, what? What are they talking about? I have no idea what they're talking about. All right. Uh, He thought that the only thing that would be going on if they allowed this guy to move in would be what they coined hanky-panky going on uh, in the house. And if you remember, uh, what I I didn't, that's not what I remembered about the show, although when I went back and watched some of the clips, I was like, wow, I was exposed to this at an early age. Uh, But what I remember about the show specifically was the different characteristics all three, Janet, Chrissy, and Jack, had in the show. They were very much different personalities and different characteristics that they had. And I believe in in kind of looking at the dates and and the TV launches that Three's Company, I feel, kind of started this trend of like relatable almost reality TV at the time. And that swept that generation and the next generation that was to come, uh, which then what followed was Seinfeld, right? And in Seinfeld, you had Jerry and Elaine and Kramer and George and all those very different personalities that you would watch the television show and you would look to relate to them. And then after them came Friends, right? Now I'm getting some of the more younger crowd. We got Joey and Chandler and Ross, Monica and Phoebe, um, we watched those. I remember I couldn't call Heather when we were dating at the time Friends was on TV because her and her roommates would be watching it. And, uh, but I de- I, I, in, in that same case as well, uh, those, character, those characters and characteristics each one of them have were relatable across the whole gamut of, of personality types, really. And we would sit and watch and find ourselves trying to figure out who we related to the most. Today, social media has actual quizzes you can take to find out if you're uh, Chandler or Joey or Rachel or a Phoebe and people are posting, oh, look at I'm Phoebe, you know, or uh, I don't know who I'd be. Anyways, we're not going to get to that. Uh, or you would, you would pinhole your friends into a position, right? Oh, they're just like, you know, so-and-so of this television show. And we instantly would start to relate and, and look into the different characteristics that these TV characters that we oftentimes are fixated on on the television, and it's still true today as well. And so as we continue this series on the Apostles' Creed, today specifically we're going to talk about the different characteristics that God has, the different characteristics that, uh, that the, Bible, uh, the, the, Bi- the Bible tells us who God has. 
is. All right, now I want to remind you, we started this series last week, and, I want, and we might even remind you every week as we walk through this, but uh, I want to remind you that um, authority is not the key of what the Apostles' Creed brings. I told you last week, the Apostles' Creed has absolute no authority on its own. It, wasn't, it might have been divinely inspired. It wasn't divinely written by God. It was written by man. We're unsure kind of exactly who, where, where, where or who it was written. We know it came out of this old Roman creed uh, in the second century. But it holds no authority on its own. But what I talked about last week is that it points us back to what the Bible says. It points us back to, it'll, we talked about illuminating or, or your, your reflection last week. It illuminates what scripture already proves to be true. So it, instead of pointing at itself uh, as authority, as something that's uh, authoritative in our lives or that we should, you know, hold tight to the Apostles' Creed, no, it points outside of itself, back to scripture, back to truth, so that we have a better understanding of what's written specifically in the Apostles' Creed. All right, so I want to remind you of that. Uh, now, uh, I also want to remind you that uh, we, as Christians, do not believe in recitation or uh, what's that called, um, when you chanting or uh, reciting of something to make it true or to hold belief system in it. So uh, we don't believe that if you were to say the Apostles' Creed every day that you would gain some sort of favor or, uh, you know, get a promotion or get, you know, something that you've been aspiring to for a long time. Uh, but there is something about declaring words, right? There is something about actually speaking words of truth. And it made me think about it. Uh, if you're in a situation where uh, you hear a noise, maybe it's late at night, or maybe you're in a new situation, or, or you're by yourself and you hear that noise, if there's any hope that, that you can uh, alleviate that tension or alleviate that fear, what do you do? You call out, right? Hey! Hey, bear! Or wherever you might be camping, you might be, you know, someplace. Hey, I'm here. You hear a late noise. You hear a noise late at night, and you make noise yourself. Unless, unless fear is completely overtaking you, and you think that there's no hope. Then what do you do? You hide. You climb under the bed, and you just sit and wait. Or you, you know, you hide in the closet, and you you, you don't think. But if there is any any a hope or any uh, idea of you being able to overcome or speak out against something, you make your presence known to it, right? A couple guys went on a hike out into the wilderness from our church last week, and they were, they both talked about the idea of maybe running into a bear, and what do you do if you run into a bear? Hey, bear, we're here. You make a lot of noise, right? They tell you to, tell you to play dead, but, you know, I'm not going to do that if there's a bear there. <laughs> um, anyways, but uh, you declare yourself to be known and, and hopefully that fear runs away, and so this morning, knowing that we are not we're not being doctrinal and stiff on, on because uh, if you know me at all, not really into that kind of uh, thing. I did, I did youth pastor at a Presbyterian church for a while. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we, there was more, some more traditions in there, but I try to break away from that a little bit. But this morning, uh, knowing that we're not into that kind of doctrinal stiffness and that we're going to stand and say the Apostles' Creed uh, and it mean something other than us just declaring some of these truths that are clearly in the Bible as we're going to look at over these few weeks, uh, I want us to 
to stand and declare before God this morning the truths of the Apostles' Creed. So uh, it, and I know it's awkward. It was awkward last week, and I actually even afterwards second-guessed it that I would ever do it again in the coming weeks, but I want us to do it. All right, so everybody stand up. We're going to have the words on the screen so you can follow along uh, as we read it. So the Apostles' Creed, ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So, I think there's something about that. Declaring truth as we look into this idea of the Apostles' Creed. Now, I might be convicted this week, and we might not actually say it again, uh, but get in the habit of, of knowing it, but also looking back, like the Apostles' Creed function was to point us back to Scripture. So for us, like I said, these next three weeks, we're actually going to be looking at the different characters. Today is specifically the characteristics of God, but over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, all right? We're going to be looking at all three of those uh, beings of God, so to speak, all right? And so, uh, and they each play a significant role. They each have distinct differences in the role, but still all one being. That is foundational for what we believe as Christians, that the Holy Spirit, that God and Jesus were actually all present at the beginning of creation, all one and then throughout it, throughout the Bible and what's written in Scripture, we believe play uh, distinct roles. So God is three persons in one, okay? And I'm not talking about like schizophrenic God that's got different personality types that you're like, I don't know which one I'm going to run into. No, it's very clear in the Bible what the roles are. Or God's not like a wife that maybe transforms at certain times or certain places uh, after maybe you've repeatedly failed to comply with a simple request for like the 27th time. I know nothing about that. Uh, but no, God through scripture, again, illuminated and declared in the Apostles' Creed, is all three in one, all right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but yet just one being. Now, if your head is like spinning and even maybe over time you've tried to think of that concept and it hurts a little bit, uh, you're in good company because I'm right there with you, right? Trying to grasp and understand these concepts and the ideas of God, three persons in one and all this kind of stuff is confusing, isn't the easiest thing to comprehend, all right? It's hard to understand and comprehend these ideas for many Many and we, we get together and talk about it in different groups throughout the week, and yet we still find ourselves sometimes confused or sometimes really just pushing back to try to figure out what this means. And so, my hope over these next 
few weeks is to bring some clarity and understanding to this. As we look at God, as we look at Jesus, and as we look at the Holy Spirit uh, over these next uh, few weeks. And the Bible tells us these characteristics of who God is and how he operates in these three different ideas. Clearly, tons of different ways throughout Scripture. 1 John 14 said, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have his glory and the, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And there's just so much even in that scripture, right? Uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. His spirit is dwelling in us. His word is alive and active through his spirit in each one of us. And that it is through the glory of Jesus, as it says in John 1.14. It is through the glory and his glorious work that he did for each one of us on the cross that his glory is made known in is brought meaning in our lives. And it is the grace and truth of God the Father that is written throughout the scriptures that we need to understand and comprehend in our lives. So much so that our prayer would be something like 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Right, God the Father playing a role and Jesus in his sacrifice, but the, the Spirit in fellowship and relationship with us as we live. And so my hope is, is that over these next few weeks, we really, uh, we really dive into these three things and we hopefully can come away with a better understanding of each of these uh, following as we look at them. So last week we talked about uh, God a little bit, but we mainly focused on this idea that the creed starts out with the statement, I believe. And we took I believe from what we know to be true, what scripture tells us, what the creed says, and we looked at the difference between knowing that and actually believing that. Believing it in our heart is what we looked at last week. And so the difference of bridging that gap of knowing and believing all right, and I remembered, I was reminded last week, and as I looked at this this week with God, I remembered uh, back, uh, I spent five years, as I, as I uh, confessed to you, as a youth pastor at a Presbyterian church. Um, it, see, I said confess there, so as if it was a bad thing. Uh, no, it wasn't. Um, but I spent that time as a youth pastor, and I remember walking in, it was my first year, it was my first real Year in I very, I mean, I was I did some ministry work with Young Life, and but it was my first real year as a as, as working ministry for a church, right? And I got hired on as the youth pastor at this church here in Bellingham, and uh, and I was asked to teach. I think they called it confirmation classes. It was a little different than the Catholic confirmation class, but still very similar in some ways. And I would walk middle schoolers and high schoolers through this confirmation class, of which, I don't know, it was maybe only, it had only been six years that I was walking with the Lord at all, and I was asked to teach this confirmation class to these kids who had been raised in this Presbyterian uh, environment and atmosphere, and I remember specifically teaching about all the omnis of God. So this is God's uh, omniscient, so he's all-knowing, uh, and God, and so he knows everything that's going on. He knows what's happening in your life. He knows what's going to happen and all that kind of stuff. And I remember teaching then God is omnipresent, that he's present with you. Um, that, uh, that terms God is capable of, or no, that he's all present, that he's capable of being anywhere at any time for anything. And then that God was om, his omnipotence. 
So uh, that was regarding that God is all-powerful, right? Regarding God that he had supreme power over everything. And I remember teaching these classes to these middle schoolers and high schoolers, and I was in my young, it was young 20s, and I thought to myself, man, do I even know what I'm teaching? Do I even understand it myself to the point where I can be teaching this stuff to these middle schoolers and high schoolers? Because I tried my best to teach these concepts, but I felt like in teaching these concepts of God, God all-knowing, God all-present, God all-powerful, that what it did for me is it actually pushed God away from me. It pushed God out of the relational aspects of what he desired for me and put him in a place that was like, arm's length away or distant, like he was a God that was distant from me. And so my hope for us this morning in our time is that we look at these concepts that the Apostles' Creed lays out and better understand what we know Scripture to tell us about God. That maybe all these things are true and maybe he isn't a distant God, maybe he's closer than we think, maybe he is a little bit far off in his spirit, you know, maybe, but my hope is, is that we can uh, look at these concepts and, and really gain more of an understanding of who God is. And that first line of the cross of Apostles' Creed is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And when we think of God, it's quite easy to put him in that distant place, right? It's quite easy where we look at him as creator, and scripture tells us this, that he's the creator of everything, that he's in full control, that I think it's, it's, it's easy for us to place him in that place of distant, right? In Psalms, it says, great is our Lord uh, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. In Chronicles, it says, yours, Lord, is the greatest of the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven on, and everything on heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted head over all of it. Right, the nature of God, uh, the creed refers to, the, to God really as two distinct characteristics that we're going to look at today. Two distinct characteristics that it says in those two lines that I want us to focus on. And the first is God, this creator or almighty. Both of those terms, I think, are, are pretty close when it comes to placing God. So God is the creator and almighty. Right? God's nature and how beautiful it is. And, and even living where we live, it's easy to realize just how magnificent his creation is, right? Living in the Pacific Northwest, you can head down to the marina. I think it's one of the most beautiful places, maybe even in the state, where you just sit out there on that spit and you look out across the lake and you look at the mountainside and the lake and everything you got going on. It is an amazing, it, it, it's like what I shared with the kids, the creation of humans, but the creation that is around us, it is so easy to believe and understand that there is a creator, that there's one that created all of it. It didn't necessarily happen just by chance, right? One who created that, put it all together, that created the ecosystems and the, the living organisms to interact and build off each other and function and, and all come together, right? And the balance of nature between, you know, humans and animals and animals and how they're related to each other and how the oxygen works. And I mean, I could just go on and on, right? Like all these things work together to create this livable environment and everything knitted together so that we can all function and be a part of it. But what we battle in knowing this, is, having this as the dominant view of God as we walk outside and see his creation and how magnificent it is, what we battle in this is putting God in that position where he's distant, where he's 
uh, where maybe he, uh, he wouldn't even blink an eye at like little old me, just one person in this magnificent creation that he's created. And especially if he knew how insignificant that I felt that I was, or even how, even if he was paying attention, he wouldn't care after obviously being all-knowing, he knew all the things that I had done. Have you ever been there in your thoughts of God? Like so small and insignificant that God probably isn't even paying attention to you. Or for everything that you have did or didn't do in your life, you would think that there was no way that God would really even care to give you the time of day. Have you ever been there in your relationship with God? I have. Where we place God at this far off place. And creation with so much purpose, he wouldn't even care about me and, and my needs or my desires. But God being creator and almighty, we have to know that he is not distant. That he is not a distant God. That yes, he is almighty and he is creator, but even with that, he doesn't distance himself from us. We sang it this morning. He pursues us. He stays in close and he wants a relationship with us as well. So throughout scripture, we have this second concept that the, the Apostles' Creed lays out, but throughout scripture, uh, it refers to God is the Father. He is our Father. And how beautiful uh, his creation can be, it is countered by how messed up and maybe unhealthy, we can view this idea of God our Father based on maybe whatever you have had as a father or you feel like you have succeeded or not succeeded as a father yourself, right? It's so easy to, to uh, have that sway our uh, view of God depending on how our own father was or wasn't present in our lives. But the father piece in this is representing how relational God is, how relational he relational. He desires for us to be with him. And what we battle with this being the dominant view of God is that uh, God also can, we can just view God as our friend, right? We can just view God as a buddy or a chum or uh, unless you grew up with a very authoritative father, uh, it's easy to see God as one that would just have our best interest in mind or even actually would just even think that he would just give us anything we want. And when God doesn't do that, you know, it's disappointing when we don't get what we want. Just as if when my, I don't give the, my kids what they want, they let me know how disappointed they are. I think it's very clear that we often can, ex, can exist with God that way in thinking God exists specifically for us. Now, don't get me wrong as I jump up on this soapbox, but uh, we as parents, I feel, even spend too much time being best friends to our children, right? Like, and maybe you don't, and may, maybe you're unlike me, but uh, we, we can spend our time too much being best friends with our children or our youth when really what they need is some authority and correction in their life, Right? And God relationally wants us, he does desire for us to be in relationship like we would call him our best friend. That's what he desires for us. But what he wants way more for us is what is best for us. Not necessarily to be our best friend, but what is best for us. 
He's not like an unselfish, unloving God who always says yes to his children. Our children, as they grow up and gain maturity, uh, is, is the same way, and as we raise them up, is the same way that uh, we can relate to our walk with God, with God our Father. Is that a children's desire when they're really young is ultimately in, 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 immature and can even be uh, harmful for them if we were to just let them have whatever they want and desire whatever they want. Oftentimes, that's, I mean, that's why God designed it the way it was, that as they grow up, they stay in the house, and then they move out when they've got it all figured out at 18, right? <laughs> no. Some people parent for their whole lives. But this being the case, this is very similar to our relationship with God. As we walk with him, and as we mature with him in our lives, God leads us out of the harmfulness in our lives and directs us into this path that is ultimately aligning our lives up with what he desires for us, what he wants for us. That's the type of father and understanding uh, that, that, that God wants us to have. That he's not distant, that he is relational, but that he is still almighty, right? And that he is still creator. So even though God is the father, he is still almighty, right? He brings us to maturity as we understand the authority and ultimate power that God has in our lives, and the fatherly relational aspect that God wants us to have, right? Having the right view of both God the Father and God as the ultimate authority and creator in our lives brings that right relationship that God desires for each one of us to have. And I think what we're challenged with is that we're challenged with to figure out the scope that God has in our lives. As we look at our lives, we're challenged with to figure out just where God, where we place God, how much authority and how much relationship we allow him to have, that scope of who God is. The larger the God is, the more reign and presence he has in your life, right? The more that you have access to the power and authority which he brings as he brings you into a deeper relationship with him, you have access to more power and more authority of God which ultimately gets you to the place where navigating life, navigating um, the different aspects and how we handle life the best. It's a small glimpse of, as we enter in deeper into that relationship, it's a small glimpse of what ultimately is in the end where there's no hurt, no pain, no tears, right? That's what it said it's going to be like, no death. A God that defeated, the authority that God defeated death is what we have access to. That's a pretty amazing concept that we do not have a fear. God, God defeated death, so in him we have no fear of death. We have access to that power, but here's what we need to know about that power, and you need to listen to this, that that power does not exist for us. It doesn't exist so that we can, uh, we can align, we can get everything functioning in our lives. Right? It doesn't exist so that, uh, so that we have authority on our own behalf. It's for his glory. Often we see the power of God as existing for us to transform uh, our situation, whether it's hardship or fear or anxiety or tr something that's troubling us. We see the power that we have access to being for us. And, 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 and in a story, God even kind of saw the disciples uh, battling with this as he's 
as he was talking with, uh, I believe it was Peter and, and the authority that he had, God saw this, 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 uh, this kind of start to go haywire and God said, you know what, it's not about you, he told his disciples. It's actually about a battle that's much bigger than your life. It's about many lives and it's about a kingdom that I'm building up. It's more of a battle, it's more than a battle that we're fighting for our own sake. It's to gain ground in the kingdom that God uh, has these, this relationship with us. And it's hard for us, and it's hard for us to not focus on ourselves. I don't know if I'm the only one that struggles with that, the desire for everything to kind of go my way the way I want it, and if it doesn't, it really kind of messes things up. Um, maybe you can relate to that. But when we state that claim, I believe in the first line of the Apostles' Creed, we say, when we say that, I believe, we have to understand what that means. And if, if we have that concept of I believe so that it is something that uh, enhances my life, uh, that's that selfishness that takes over. But when, when we understand it rightly, it is saying, when we say I believe, we're saying yes to God, or saying yes to God is saying no to and you might have something in your head. I left it blank for you on the outline um, if it comes up there. But uh, I left it blank so you can fill it in. You can fill it in with a, a generic thing of self. Like saying yes, to, saying yes to God is saying no to self. Or you can put specific things in there. Right? A lot of the things that we just talked about, uh, time, money, family, those things that, 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 uh, that oftentimes can take that place of God, those things... Uh, are, are ultimately what get in the way. Those are great things, too. But I didn't want to fill that blank in for you because essentially uh, it's, it's, it's saying whatever it is that that is for you. Saying yes to God means you have to say no to something that's of you, something that is not of God, anything that is not of God in your life. It could be our finances. It could be our time, our family, our jobs, our activities, what, what we are a part of or not a part of. And here's the twist on that idea. The twist on that idea is saying yes to God actually makes all those things, family, money, finances, our job, it actually brings them up in priority because we have to steward them because they're not ours. Everything that God has given us in any of those categories, and those are, those are actually the ones that just actually create the most stress in your life, right? Finances, family, money, time. Those are the things that create the most stress in your life. And ultimately, it's because we're trying to handle them ourselves. But put in right alignment with God, saying yes to God is saying no to having those things rule and reign, but then having them be so important because we steward them for God's purpose and not our own. And in a sense, what we're asking, what God's asking for us to do, and this is, this is a tough concept, I think, and maybe you don't struggle with it as much as I do, but in a sense, God has asked us and asked us to work towards sacrificing everything. Everything. Not just this or just that or like a, some stuff over here, but some of this, no, it's everything. And I think with, with our mindset and how we live our lives, that's a very, it's unobtainable but it's what God wants us to get to. And it's actually what God wants us to lay on our hearts to be desirable in our, in our lives, is that we sacrifice everything. It's crazy because all those things are the, the hardest things 
that we can give to you. So saying yes to God, saying I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, saying yes to aligning all of your life to what God desires for you, but because you know your Father, the one that has ultimate authority, ultimate uh, power, is the creator of everything, but also wants the deepest, most relationship Uh, best relationship with you in your life, knowing he's in your corner, knowing he's supporting you in that, knowing that he's going to give you actually whatever you need, not necessarily what you want, but he's going to give you everything you need. Knowing that truth and saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of everything, knowing that he will give you everything you need to, to sacrificially give up everything in your life makes that a lot easier. And so my question for you, do you truly believe that this morning? Do you believe that to be true in your life? Matthew 16, 17 through 19, I love how this depicts it out. Jesus replied, blessed are you, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that You are Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I love two aspects of this as we bring it to a close. That, and I love this, saying yes to God is saying no to the gates of Hades. Saying yes to God is saying no to to the enemy who is, is trying to gain ground in all those areas in your life. And that's amazing to know that he, the one that has ultimate power and ultimate authority, is going to fight that battle. And it's, he's actually already won it. So we don't even have to worry about it if we believe that to be true. And then the second part of that is that the, the last half of that verse no, shows me that there's huge ramifications eternally for the kingdom in focusing in our living our lives in alignment with God. Now, there's talk about what that means eternally for when we're faced with God and in that judgment where he's going to judge the living and both the living and the dead, as we'll get to later on in this. Uh, there's, like, what is that? Like, w- like what's going to happen in that moment? I'm not looking forward to it because I know how many times I've fallen short. But there's going to be something there. But even more than that, the way we live our lives here has huge kingdom ramifications because of those that don't know the Lord. The way we live our life here is how people view our God, which is crazy to think about. If we were to live our life in alignment with God, man, how amazing would this, would this earth be? The people would know the Father and trust him in amazing ways. But because we're working it out, oftentimes some of the kingdom work gets missed because we're not living our lives aligned with what God has for us. I want to leave you with these final two thoughts. The big thought is, what do you think about God? What do you think and know to be true about God in your life? It's the most important thing for you to, to rattle around in your head. Your thought of God. Is it, is it not much? Is it authority, power, creator? Is it more fatherly? What do you think about God? Because here it is. If God is creator and father, then you have value. 
God created you with purpose and meaning and with the greatest of value for what you need to do with this life. And if God is creator and father, then you have authority. But it's authority that God's given you to do his work, not your work. You have value and a mission and purpose to do that work. And so my hope uh, today, and, and as we look at Jesus, and as we look at the Holy Spirit, that these things would begin to make, make sense a little bit more in our brains, and we'd be able to, we'd be uh, pushed towards the truth of what Scripture brings for us about who God is, who the Holy Spirit is, and who Jesus is, and what he calls us to. Let's pray.